questions you never thought you could ask in church. Thanks for tuning in. This is the podcast where we invite you to text your questions in, the questions that you're wrestling with regarding God, the Bible, comparative religions, spirituality, Jesus, how it intersects with life, the questions that you don't really know where to ask, who to ask, or that you're afraid to ask, the questions that are maybe a little embarrassing, the questions where you fear some judgment, the questions that maybe either seem too complex or too simplistic to be worthwhile, anywhere in between. This is the podcast. We welcome them all. We believe God wants us asking questions, and the sign of growing spiritually is that we will naturally have questions about our relationship with Him and what life with Jesus looks like. You can text those questions in anytime, 24-7 to 815-314-0363. Again, that's 815-314-0363. We will get them in real time, do the best job we can to field them right here on the spot and help you on your journey. If you're joining us on 216 The Net, big shout out to you. Great to have you tuning in. You can post your questions there on the Facebook feed if you're joining us that way or through Fellowship of Faith's Facebook page. Join us at fellowshipoffaith.org and um, just link to Facebook right there. My name is David Gadini here in the studio today with Andrew Metcalf, with Steve Wells and Kent Jones producing. How are you guys doing today? Well, I'm good. Great. Yeah. You know what I noticed is all three of us or all four of us don't want to disclude exclude you kent you we all have shirts on that i've never seen before i was gonna say that about your shirt coming in today going nice shirt steve i don't know what it is i just like the word (laughs) see and and that that even makes it better because i do know what it is it's a show on apple tv plus right or something or or is it a the eternal disney something well i think it's on disney but it's a it's it's a whole comic line that stands behind it so i mean yeah i mean steve's ready for comic-con Steve's coming in costume in two weeks. I don't think it's a fun Join us on Facebook book. so you can see it. Pretty sure it's a violent time. Well, I'm No, and it was actually just theatrical release not too long ago, too. Was it this year, last year? I mean, I don't know. All time blends together for me now, but. Well, I'll tell you the thought I put into this shirt when purchasing it. Uh, it was literally $2.75 at Kohl's on their. Okay, so Criteria 1. Yeah, yeah. met. It was, a, it was a small, it was a two? dark in color, and it was cheap. That's me. It is the absolute <laughs> bedrock foundational principles behind all clothing yes, purchases. Uh, yes. yep, so, I'm with you. So yours says first form. So yeah. With so the pH. let me tell you the story on this. Wait, so first on form? the front, it says oh, Lindenwood. It's where my oldest daughter goes to college. Yeah. And we were there for one of her football games and they were handing out free shirts. And oh, that's kind of cool. But I came to find out afterwards, it was like a veterans recognition day. And I think only veterans were supposed to get oh. the shirts, but they just handed me one. Isn't I'm like, that a cool crime? shirt. Isn't and that a crime to? It's not a crime. Fake, fake you're in a military. <laughs> maybe, no. maybe the salute gave it away. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Was it the salute? Was it, it was left-handed. You're also chin. wearing camo shorts. Yeah, <laughs> camo shorts. Right. <laughs> well, what's your story? Uh, I bought this at Marshalls. So I like the color. Billabong, you know, Andrew is Billabong. an avid surfer. Yeah. You yes. know, he doesn't talk Absolutely. about that much on the show, yes, but, you know, in Nebraska or St. Louis, rather, too. St. Louis. The big, you, you, know. you get big waves there. Well, and you, and you went to Nebraska because of the, uh, you know, the waves. Right. Was it? Oak Lake, man. No, Scott. he went to the, it was the the wave pool at Oceans of Fun. <laughs> with <laughs> his board. Like I've yeah, never been in board. one of those. <laughs> I have. The great, don't ever want to. I love to. those things. <laughs> Ugh, public pools are disgusting. Oh, well. Not as bad as a hot tub. There's a lot True. of things that are disgusting. Speaking of which, sausage is disgusting. Sausage, if you is think about it, disgusting. You know, yeah. You mentioned in your opening, uh, uh, which was very a very smooth entry today. Well, you know, I practice. So, I, you I know, for tell. about I twenty tell. minutes before each I show. Think I kind know, of I rehearse it out. Like I don't. 
I don't hear. And you know, and there's a teleprompter too on this beards are beautiful uh-huh. sign behind you. You know, Kent is like kind of giving me words here and I just read them as we go. So it all. Yeah. You mentioned questions that maybe, uh, uh, what was the word you used? Um, you were scared to ask. Yeah. And so I've got this rash that I'm, you know, uh, so here's where, my, where here's is my, your rash? Here's my Steve. question. You know, you know, this is a question you shouldn't ask. The church. audience wants to know. Well, you know, you shouldn't ask your doctor. Oh, we can't, we can't go there? Uh, <laughs> well, if Dr. Mike uh, becomes president, then you can ask him. Dr. Mike. Or no, one of the, there's some. Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz, that's right. <laughs> no, Dr. Oz isn't running for president. He's running for uh, the uh, Senate, Senate in uh, Pennsylvania. Mm. Ah, there you go. So. Write to your senator. No, you're or your Pennsylvania <laughs> senator. Right? Yeah, can you write to senators in other states? How does that work? <laughs> I think you can. It's you whether can. you're going to get an answer. You can. Is you, you know, can call them too. Yeah, Steve but, has tried multiple times. Well, I call you can them all te- the time. You can text your senator at eight one five three one four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just came off of two live events here. We brought questions to the stage at Fellowship of Faith. We invited people to text in live. We've done it two weeks. I've got to tell you, I mean, it was really cool. I mean, we had, a, a, like, I think between the two Sundays, like 150 questions kind of just fly in within, you know, 30-minute cracks on each uh, each side. I mean, we, we, we are drowning, literally, in questions today. And even looking through some of them ahead of time, um, uh, they're pretty diverse. I mean, you, you know, you'll pick up on yeah. themes. There was, you know, questions coming in about, you know, the recent SCOTUS ruling, you know, with Roe v. Wade being overturned. We saw a, a bunch of questions on, you, you know, navigating the LGBT terrain coming in, but, but a lot of others too, a, across the board. I know this uh, past Sunday, like the age of the disciples. Yeah. That was, that, that was, was fun. That was, that was yeah. cool. Yeah. To, to think about. It, it's a mind blow, isn't it? If you kind of like, Think about it. Yeah. That so way. the backstory on this is that typically you think is the, the the disciples being you know these old guys that are crusty and you know bald, fifty year old bald men. Yeah. Had, well, yeah. Kent and I are not crusty though. We, no, 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 no not super, at all. Not at super all. fresh. So, bald so guys you would fresh. not have been able to be a disciple. No, you know, I mean, no, I would have been excluded. Yeah, yeah. crusted up, you baby. You know. Well, that's a requirement, but not if you were 11, I guess. You not if you were 11. No, no, you have know. to have a beard I've, at 11. I've seen some guys with beards at 11. <laughs> I had one guy in uh, I think boot- Ben's trying. <laughs> <laughs> one guy in boot camp, so hairy that uh, every time he went in to take a shower, we'd be like, Are you going to take your sweater off before you get in the shower? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure that never got old. No, never. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cordova, if you're out there, <laughs> that's his name. His last name. That's awesome. Anyway, but yeah, age of the disciples. I mean, you know, this whole this whole frame of reference of arguing that maybe they were in high school, yeah. high school age. Yeah. I don't think they were actually in high school, but right. high school age rather than these, you know, 40, 50, 60 year old men like yeah. we typically assume and you typically see portrayed. Although, do you have that like you ever go back and like look at people famous in history, you know, even like 20th century and you realize like they were really young when they were doing what they were doing, mm. you know, half mm. these guys. You, you kind of think of these people as being, you know, 50, 60, 70 year olds. Like, yeah, you were 32, you, you know, or you were 27 and you were leading this movement. I mean, yeah, I don't well, know. That, that's kind of mind blowing. You give up. You, you do. Know? You do. Like, you just okay, comfortable been. chair and a TV at that point. I've done everything I can do at this point. So now it's your turn. <laughs> that's how I kind of felt about, about this 4th of July. Yeah. You didn't go see fireworks? <laughs> no, I just don't want to. I did. I did. It's all. You know, shout out to Wonder Lake on that. Wonder yeah. Lake, Illinois had a great fireworks show, yeah. and I loved it back there on that, like, kind of, uh-huh. I don't want to say a private lake, but it's it's not really a public lake. No, and, it, and you know, we have a 
someone who lived there who's right at next to the lake. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. Were you Love in, those kinds were of you shows. In the ski show? Were you at the well, top, was, the top of the pyramid? I ended up making it to the top of the pyramid yeah. and uh, I had sequins on. So that was good. And that was you, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. An eagle. Great job. You up great work. You on top of the pyramid. Um, two eagles. Two eagles. Because yeah, I've gained weight. Yeah. So they had to do two eagles this year. <laughs> Double eagle. <laughs> they is call this the term? double eagle. <laughs> I don't know. This is so stupid. Hi, <laughs> uh, Dina. Well, where you guys. where are you taking yeah. us today, here, Andrew? What do we got in the Take in the hopper? It's so hard to inbox up. Try and I mean, it's what 12, 15 pages typed up here of questions so <laughs> that have come in. We're just yeah. gonna start at the top and see where we're just, we just we'll get up. where we get. Yeah. Um, can you profess an active faith in Jesus Christ and still have an abortion? Mm, good question. And uh, yeah, you sure can. Yeah. I'm not saying it's consistent with the faith. I'm not saying it's what God wants, but, but absolutely. Um, it, it, it has happened. It does happen. And people do all sorts of things that violate, shall we say, um, God's greater intention um, and, and hope for them. And that's the, the beauty and genius and, and grace of God in action is that no matter what we've, what roads we've gone down or what we find ourselves having done, uh, God's grace is sufficient and his forgiveness is abundant. And he always invites us to receive it, accept it and uh, restart in him. So yeah, there you go. Can you switch that a little bit and say, can you have a faith in God and want to have an abortion? Absolutely. Okay. I think we all want to do all kinds of things that aren't in line necessarily with what God wants for us. Um, and uh, again, we, we, we've got to kind of get out of this idea that, that Christianity is a merit-based religion by which we earn God's favor or forgiveness or qualify for his blessing based on the, the quality of our life, our, our, our will, our disposition, our desires. No, we come to them as dirty, rotten sinners. We come to them as people that are a mess. We come to them as people that want all kinds of wrong things, bad things, conflicted things. People who have done all kinds of wrong things, bad things, conflicted things. And God's grace is there nonetheless. And often even more. Yeah, I want to do yeah. a lot of bad things sometimes. Every week, Steve, oh, at 12.30 p.m. Maybe every On hour. Wednesday afternoons. <laughs> I'm going to be driving here in about two hours for eight and a half hours, and I'm going to want to. Oh, it's going to get bad. I'm going to yeah. want to say and do bad things yeah. on I-80. So stay up on yeah. I-80. Drift the wheel a little bit. <laughs> Going west. Anyway, we do not envy you the drive. It's great that you're here today. You know, I actually didn't think you were going to be in the studio today. I thought well, you were leaving if you a bit earlier. Back to the emails that we were doing. Um, yeah, we we're going to do two shows today and then discuss someone's internship. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. We should discuss his internship on the second Let's show. Do. Don't you think? That would be Yeah, that'd be great. Fun. Fantastic. If you have any ideas of what you want this guy to do. Yeah. Yeah. At our yeah. We've got an intern coming out of FOF and <laughs> worship and production. Shout. And yeah, give us a shout. All right. Yeah. Give us your worst intern story and uh, give us uh, the, the best thing we can ask an intern to do. And there we go. Yep. All right. Exactly. What else we got here? Uh, along the same, same line as the last question. Um, yesterday I heard a woman state that she was pro-choice and Jewish. She, she said the Jewish faith don't, or the Jewish people don't believe in life at conception. Is that anywhere in Jewish religious texts? Yeah, fantastic question. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, I think the mistake that we can make when we talk about being Jewish is the same mistake that people often make when they say Christian. They kind of treat it as one blanket or monolithic term that defines and describes 
all people, all of their beliefs, and all the variegated belief systems within it. Judaism is just as, shall I say, denominationalized, if I can use that kind of language. Uh, maybe inappropriately, but we know what that means, right? It's just as denominationalized as Christianity is. And you will find a very wide spectrum of belief in Judaism. And you can add the other layer onto Judaism, where there are many people who embrace Judaism as a cultural heritage rather than a faith system or belief system. Much like I could say I'm Italian or German, and all I really mean to indicate by that is there, there, there's some pride I take in maybe a, a, a descendancy from that line, some of the cultural expressions, maybe I do some of the holidays, things like that. So, you know, you, you, know, uh, you got to be careful of just someone saying, well, I'm Christian and therefore we believe this, or I'm Jewish, therefore we believe this. There are certainly many Jewish people, um, whether cultural or religious in practice that are pro-choice, and many that are not. Um, is it in any Jewish religious texts? That I can't really speak to. Um, to my knowledge, you don't see it really entertained in the Mishnah or the Talmud, though you do see discussions of the law and the Mishnah and the Talmud surrounding um, some of the um, Mosaic law regarding to like when you strike a woman and if she miscarries and, uh, you know, where does life begin there? But but in true Talmudic style, what you have is a collection of a bunch of arguments back and forth on it. That's what the Talmud does, is it just kind of is almost like a... Um, like, like a museum piece curating all these variegated opinions on these points of the law by the ancient rabbis. To more modern-day Judea texts, I, I am not in, that's not my field, so I can't really speak into that with any level of certainty, but uh, hopefully that at least gets you on the right, uh, the right footing here. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one, I mean, obviously, in here, here in the United States, that's a topic that is at the front of people's minds because of the recent Supreme Court ruling. You got it. You but got one it. Thing I, that as I've been, been thinking about it, not necessarily in relation to the questions or the podcast, but just in general, it seems like there's two, if you look at the two sides of the like, you know, political perspectives on this, you have like pro-choice and pro-life. Mm -hmm. And to me, they're not, they're not opposites of each other. And that's where a lot of the tension comes in because one side is looking at a women's medical right and the right to her body. And the other side is looking at the child's life. Mm -hmm. So it's like, the opposite viewpoints of each of those views are not what exists right now. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like the opposite of, you know, a, a woman's right to choose and her medical decisions is take away all of her medical decisions and everything like that. And it's like, that's not what the pro-life movement is professing. And you look at the opposite of the pro-life movement. It's like, they, you know, think that it, the, you know, a baby is a life from conception and that's what they're trying to, you know, up, uphold and uplift and everything. And the opposite side of that is, kill babies like that's not what the pro-choice movement is saying it's like it's two different lines of thinking that then we're trying to come up with a law that fits that and it's like yeah they're two yeah. different opposite things and th you get the same can be said with with gun control with the economy with all of these different topics it's like they're talking past each other because they framed it in two completely different ways well and that's and it's like it's where really, does that argument come from like ultimately it comes down to where where because it's political, like you said. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, they don't want you to fully know what's going on. They just want you to to think you know what they're talking about, which <laughs> talk to any politician, you're going to get asked one question, you'll get seven different answers, you know. So, 
So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I understand what you're saying. I think it's, I don't, I don't know that uh, they want it any differently because it mm-hmm. creates division and then that division creates. But again, it gets difficult because who, who is the they that we're referring to? Because even within that, it, you know, it's not, you know, sometimes I think we treat political action committees or politicians or, or movements almost like the Illuminati, like they're all, you know, gathering together behind closed doors and strategizing together where that is even fragmented. And, uh, uh, you know, what's true of one is not always true of another. Yeah. Right. Just in in like, terms of motive and in terms of, just you like know, how approach. we're just saying you're labeling all Christians as the same. You got it. Same thing. You got it. Yeah, exactly. But so politics, how, they are all the same. <laughs> <laughs> Politicians are all the same. All the stereotypes, absolutely true. Yeah. There's it is no, the one place, right? No the one, one place. <laughs> Tell me the one that proves me wrong. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> text in your answers. Yeah. And if you're a politician listening today, text Please. in hey. Pro- proves Steve wrong. No, yeah. Don't even text 815-314-0363. So the thoughts and opinions of this show don't <laughs> reflect. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so if we go a little a little broader from that, um, outside of specifically the topic of, of abortion, just in regards to people's political views and their faiths. What is the the correct intersection of those things or the, uh, you know, I'm sure there's lots of different ways to think about it, but like you said, you have, there's Jewish people, there's Christians, whatever, that are pro-choice and that are pro-life. What is What is the best way to go about trying to wrestle with that either divergence between your faith and your political views or marrying them together? Like there's, there's been three basic streams in Christian tradition by which to reconcile, and I'll call it faith in culture, faith in life and society, That's faith better. in politics. It's it's all basically expressions of the same thing. So one is to basically immerse into it, if you will, and follow the lead of the state with the hopes, of course, of uh, you know, living in peace, bringing reconciliation, being winsome to your neighbor, being evangelistic, possibly in the process, whatever it is, but it's almost a conformity kind of thing. As state and culture goes, so we will conform. The equal and opposite reaction, of course, can maybe best be, you know, exemplified in like Anabaptist movements, maybe even the Amish, where it's a complete separation from culture in state with the idea that we're not going to be tainted by it. We're not going to be conformed by it. We're not going to um, put ourselves in temptations way by what it'll seek to draw us to. We're going to try to maintain our own identity in Christ so much that nothing of what the world does can possibly really influence that. And the third and the most prevailing way that you see is what you call baptizing the culture, if you will. And, and this basic approach means that, you know, we live quote unquote, in the world, but not of the world. I mean, you can't get out of the world, right? And so it's not a full-fledged embracing of the culture. It is not a fleeing from the culture, but it's recognizing that culture in many ways is value neutral. And so there are things that can be used for good in culture. There are things that can be used for evil in culture. You embrace the good, you reject the evil, you take the evil and you try to conform it to good, and you take that which is used for wrong purpose and you rediscover the roots of what good that God has created in it and turn it towards his ends or embrace it in a God-honoring way, so to speak. At the end of the day, 
it, it's, it's almost a secondary question, though. It's an important question because at the end of the day, there, there's always the call, uh, you know, for the Christian to say your loyalty is to God first, regardless of what's going on around you. And and I think cultural engagement is important. I think political engagement is important. And I think some um, uh, 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 American Christians uh, in particular have disengaged maybe even too much or have uh, delineated um faith life and political life too much. And I can get into that more, what I mean by that. But um, but fundamentally, I, I see too often where I, I see Christians who know far more about politics than they know about, they know about the way of God, who, who are far more enthusiastic about the political debates than they are about God's call in their life, and who are, are driven far more in their thinking and their decision-making by what's happening on the cultural scene than what God is doing in their life. And, and I think that's fundamentally dangerous. I mean, we're always going to live at odds with various aspects of what's going on in the world around us. I don't care what generation you live in. Um, and uh, the first call is always to honor God first. And if that puts you at odds with culture or politics, well, so be it. You bear it nobly. And uh, certainly in a democratic society, you can move to influence or change it. But the motivation is never Christianity as a means to an end for a political end. You know, it's always honor God, let the chips fall where they fall at some kind of base level. Yeah, I like that. I think that works. All right. That's all we got for today then, <laughs> we'll guys. Take you know? <laughs> we'll take that. Um, let's jump to the next one here then. Similar similar vein to the the first question: Can you profess an active faith in Jesus Christ and still live a gay lifestyle? One would think an active faith would bring God's grace and the desire not to sin, as Paul says. But what if the person believes it is not a sin? Yeah, of course, an active faith will always bring about a desire not to sin. If God is working at you in you, it will often bring conflict rather than peace as things happen in your life that are putting you maybe at odds with whatever um, lifestyle choices or beliefs or patterns or behaviors or, or, or whatever it is that, that you're immersed. And this is true for every single person who has ever responded to God in any kind of way, um, unless you're perfect, right? And, and then, you know, if you're coming from that vantage point, well, we'll talk about deception and naivety. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Narcissism. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you where you're not right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what that means is when, when God comes into any person's life, they are always living, professing, and acting in ways that are contrary to the way of God and often are blind to it, often aren't willing to give it up, often are stubborn in the refusal to let God work in that aspect to his life. That's why spiritual formation is a process. And so, you know, we could take the example of this question of a gay lifestyle, and we can substitute in about a thousand other kinds of lifestyles mm -hmm. as well. And yes, you can profess an active faith in Christ while still living in a certain lifestyle. Um, but that's not meant to be any indication that living in whatever that lifestyle might be is what God wants or that it's good. It's just to kind of say, we all live inconsistently with the way of God in our lives. And thanks be to God, he's a lot more patient with us than we often are with each other. So question, is it a lifestyle? For some people. Yeah, and for what, some people. What would that look like? <clears throat> I think that's how it's been branded. Like that's like the term that yeah, I'm, I'm church curious, people use really. Right. I'm yeah. curious about that, that it's a lifestyle. Like everything in their life revolves around that. 
meaning like I'm heterosexual. So does everything in my life, before I make a decision, before I do anything, do I make sure that it matches up with my heterosexualness? Yeah, and the the answer is, for most people, probably no. And I would say probably for most homosexual people, the answer is no. But the LGBT movement, certainly here in the States, I think, you know, in the spirit of political action movements, um, has done a great job of branding it as a lifestyle and some do practice it as a lifestyle, just like some practice anything else. But I guess my question is like, what is lifestyle mean? What does that all encompass is my question. I don't know that any any of us have that answer because I think it could be different for every person, but in the term lifestyle, because that's what's used a lot. Yeah. What is the definition of that? Yeah. It almost seems, doesn't it, to go beyond in this case, sexual preference to sexual preference plus a, a cultural way of expressing that, that, that sexual preference mm-hmm. that defines me in a certain way and that occupies my cultural being, if you will, the way I think, the way I talk, the way I dress, who I associate with, the way I respond in various you know, situations with a thousand subtle cues. I mean, yeah. you know, we all do this in our own ways with whatever is important to us. Lifestyle um, versus identity is kind of where I'm going with that. Like, yeah. is your identity your lifestyle or is your lifestyle your identity, vice versa? Are they the same things? Yeah, I don't know that it's important. Well, I think not, it's full of, I think it's full of stereotypes too, to people people bring to it. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't, people have, oh, that is the gay lifestyle mm-hmm. because it's filled with stereotypes or I think things that whatever your own perception is like brings to that, mm-hmm. whether positive or negative. Right. Um, yep. All right. Tangent. Yeah, I think, I, I, I don't know, I like the second part of that question, but, uh, you know, you would think an act of faith would bring God's grace and a desire to not sin, but what if the person believes that it isn't sin? And I yeah. think that's a part of it, too. Like, I think sometimes that gets viewed as, oh, they're an active defiance of God, and they must not believe in God because they're actively sinning and saying, like, you know, forget you, God, I don't well, like your rules. And it's like, I would say, I mean, probably half of the Christian denominations don't think it's sin. Right. That's so what like I was we just can't cast say. that on like, oh, well, they must be yeah. denying God and trying to do this. Like, I, I don't know that that enters into the thought of a lot Just of like what Dave was saying earlier, where all the all Christians believe the same thing. Well, of course, that's not true. You know, so just like there are denominations that are completely OK with homosexuality. You know, they even have their pastors as a homosexual and they're out living the lifestyle and whatnot. So, again, to the someone who's not a Christian or to someone who's like, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, then why, to them, it's not a sin. So how do you deal with that? You know, if I could frame this in a way that maybe reveals a blind spot, I think the typical American Christian has. I find this a helpful exercise, is sometimes you can just sub a word out mm-hmm. with a different word mm-hmm. and and see things in a new light. What if it read something like this? Can you perfect it? Can you profess an active faith in Christ Jesus and still live a successful material lifestyle. One would think an act of faith would bring God's grace and the desire not to sin, as Paul says, but what if the person believes that material prosperity is not a sin? I see Jesus talking far more about the dangers of wealth, about the danger of materialism, about the dangers of greed, about the dangers of everything that goes hand in hand with it than some of these other sins. And and again, I'm not looking to gradate sins or say that this is okay because of this. That's not the point. It's just to kind of reveal, 
are arguably the flaw that we get into in the thought process sometimes when we think that we cannot be inconsistent with our belief. Mm-hmm. We're all, I mean, we're all inconsistent with our belief. Um, and, and that's not to give excuse to it. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that leads us to our knees and hopefully that leads us to repentance. And hopefully that leads us to kind of realize, Oh God, I'm holding your grace lightly and I'm treating your calling flippantly. And, uh, dang, man, I got to stand before your throne someday. So, uh, forgive me, Lord, because wow, it's really easy to take you for granted. And, um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be doing that too much anymore. Right. I was just going to say kind of on that same line is <clears throat> we each have a personal relationship with God, just like our personal relationships with each other. If I did something that I felt was out of step in our relationship, Dave, I might come to you and go, geez, dude, maybe, maybe, right. Maybe, maybe right. Right. right? Uh, and, and work through it. Right. And, and you'd be like, Oh man, I, I didn't even, didn't even cross my mind, bro, whatever. Or yeah, you know what? It did hurt me. And let's try to figure that out. Right. So a lot of times um, Christians want to please the people in the pews and, and worry more about the, the view of the people in the pews than they are with their personal relationship with the Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you take that question and go to God with it, right, at that point and go, hmm, all right, Lord, maybe I'm doing something. Maybe, I, you know, help me out. So uh, to me, um, if you have that personal relationship, then that question may not be as difficult to answer. Yeah, and thanks for that, Kent. And I, and I love the, the fact that you put it that way because I think it also reveals that we treat God like a formula. You know, he's like a mathematical equation that needs to be solved, an impersonal force. And so if we just get the right answer, right, then we can solve the problem and move on with our lives in some kind of happy way. And God will act in some kind of static, predictable way or something like that. But if it is relationship, you're right. You think of all the patience, all the forgiveness, all the kind of forbearance that goes into it, the toleration that, that, that kind of occurs with each other, the things that you just kind of deal with. I mean, which of us doesn't do this all the time with the people we're closest to. Right. Right. And yeah. yet you still hope that you can work through it together and move towards a better end. How much more God, right? Which is why I think old Testament, the law, I think that's why so many people, it was so hard for them to not, not let go, but they enjoyed that. It was so cut and dry, hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. here's the law, but with stuff like this, it's like, well, I, I know what it reads and I know, and I think I comprehend it but maybe I don't have it right either, you know? So the law was, well, we have guidelines to live in. And now, I mean, Jesus came and wrecked the law. (laughs) (laughs) He ruined our nice clean cut (laughs) set of instructions. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Bringing just a little bit more tension to all of our lives. (laughs) And, And what should be a freedom but I think oftentimes it becomes that either debate point or something. It's like, this should be a freedom and a joyous thing, but it becomes like, uh, well, you're, you're not doing this right. Rather than like, okay, what, what am I doing right? How am I living in, in this freedom and in right. this joy and in, you know, God's you know vision for my life. It, it, it becomes very easy to, I think, point fingers in that. Yeah. And I think I agree. And I think to add on to like, to put your, your guys's comments together and Tina's as well, because Tina says Andrew just ruined all conversation using logic. <laughs> and while I while I understand, I enjoy that. Way I to go, Andrew. Side of logic. <laughs> and while I understand what she's saying, I'll disagree. 
And the reason I'll disagree is because the conversation is not happening. So we have two sides to in the topic that we were talking at that at that point when she mentioned this was the abortion piece. I don't I don't hear a lot of good conversation between people. It's it's my point, your point, my point, your point, not the not the middle where it's just, hey, you know what, let's just talk about this and see where each other's coming from this and, and listening versus just talking all the time, you know, which here I am talking, but I'm trying to make a point and you're going to listen. So you were in monologue, monologue right. phase though. Right. You know, we, we got the mic, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Are you quiet so, down out there? So with that logic, all I'm going to do that is in my daily life is carry around a microphone. <laughs> nope. Sorry. I'm talking right now. I've got the mic. I've got the speaking stick. Everyone listen. Uh, hey, you're listening to questions you never thought you could ask in church. We invite you to text your questions in to 815-314-0363. You might be joining us through Facebook, through Fellowship of Faith, or through 216 The Net. We go live every Wednesday from 1230 to 1.30 p.m. Central Time. You can also catch us in podcast. Um, go to fellowshipoffaith.org and go to the FOF Plus page for a full archive of past episodes or just search your favorite podcast provider. Just search questions you never thought you could ask in church and you will be right there. And uh, we, we'd love to have you uh, join in, listen in, ask questions and uh, join the conversation. Okay, Andrew, where are we going next? Let's see. The Catholic Church taught mortal versus venial? Venial is venial how it's things. often pronounced, but yeah, either uh, will work. Our society tells us that certain transgressions are worse than others. Uh, example, murder versus a curfew violation. But God doesn't see it that way. Sin is sin and there are consequences. How repentant must I be, especially for the, air quotes, grievance, grieve, grievous, <laughs> grieve, grievance, grievous sins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Since all sin is the same. How can I even be sure in my heart that it is sufficient? Does this uncertainty reflect my disrespect of Christ's sacrifice as being sufficient for all my sins. Uh, questions in that. Yeah, yeah, there's a few layers to this, and let's do some definition work first. So the Catholic Church, yes, does make a, dis a distinction between two classes of sins, mortal and venial. And, and if you read closely, it is not what is understood at a pop spirituality level. Venial does not mean unimportant, and that's a big mistake a lot of... Um, Catholics, um, but others who view Catholicism from the outside often make. It's simply the uh, the mechanism by which forgiveness is worked. Basically kind of rolls like this. If you do a mortal sin, which kind of by definition is worse, right? Um, you need to receive proper absolution through a priest and the proper conveyance through the sacramental system of the Catholic Church of forgiveness um, to come out of that state and enjoy, shall we say, you know, the blessed afterlife, if you will, where if you die in a state of venial sin, it is not as, shall we say, required. God's grace is still required to cover all sins. Jesus still died for all sins. Protestants don't make this distinction, um, though. There is debate, and we talked about this on Sunday, whether God views all sins the same or whether he sees them as um, weighted, if you will. The, the question asker here is just making an assumption that God doesn't see it that way. Well, I, I want to challenge that assumption. Um, and I invite you to challenge your own assumption, not to argue even that you're wrong, but just to say, uh, might the Bible indicate that some sins are worse? Because we got to start asking the question, what are we talking about when we use the term worse? Worse in what way? Worse in terms of the way they affect other people? Well, certainly any human being would agree that some sins are worse in the way they affect another 
human being, please commit murder in your heart against me, as opposed to actually committing murder on me. One is clearly worse, and it doesn't really take a lot of common sense um, to kind of see it that way, as long as you're not blinded by a certain ideology in, in the question. Um, we can talk about worse in terms of the effect that it has on your character, your soul, or your relationship with God. And sometimes the things that we view as worse are are actually not as worse as things we take more trivially in our relationship with God or the effect it has on our soul. And I think if we had like a meter on our arm, like some LED lights that would kind of like light up, you know, or give us like a warning or something like that, I think we'd be surprised at how so many of the things that we take lightly are actually so much more damaging, not only to us, but then by ripple effect to the, to the uh, relationships that we have. The Bible does seem to really put its stock in certain sins more than others, uh, constantly warned against these more, constantly elevated as being more more damaging and, and destructive. And it doesn't take long reading the Old and New Testament to see either of those. Um, and I could talk at length about that. But to the question, um, and let me dig it out of here again, um, how repentant must I be for the grievous sins in my life? Or if sin is all the same, you should just be repentant for sin, period. Um and if you're not, well, confess that to God and be open to God about that and come to God honestly going, God, I don't really care. And this isn't really a big deal. But maybe if you start having the honest conversation with God, the conversation with God starts in that place and something can start working in your life. Sometimes the prayer is not even, Lord, forgive me, but Lord, help me to even want your forgiveness for this because the reality is I kind of like it and I really don't. You know, I don't see it as a big deal. Um Maybe that's where the conversation starts. Um, how can I be sure in my heart that it is sufficient? I promise you that your level of repentance is never sufficient. We are not forgiven by the quality or nature of our repentance. We're, we're forgiven by the, for, by, by the blood of Christ. It's what God did for us. That's where the power of forgiveness is, not by how we prove ourselves in our brokenness or the sincerity of belief that we muster or conjure up. And that's a very dangerous road to start going down because you realize that even your acts of repentance are sin-laced and flawed. Um, and does this uncertainty reflect my disrespect of Christ's sacrifice? You bet it does. Um, as being sufficient for my sin? Absolutely. And we do it all the time. And so thanks be to God, he's died for that sin too and invites us even in that time of disrespect to kind of admit it before him, come to him and trust in his forgiveness to wash it clean. So good layer of questions there, uh, done a good path and hopefully we've successfully disrupted some of the thinking there and maybe give you some new ways to think about this and navigate your own very real, very personal day-to-day -day relationship with God. I do like the meter idea. It's a great idea, isn't it? Zero to 10. You know what would be dangerous about it though? It's kind of like when you play a video game and you see your life meter and it only goes down a little bit. Eh, you don't care too much. Kind of depends. No, you, know, on you, got, you got a long way to go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Depends on what it represents, right? So, mm -hmm. like, if you had a zero to ten meter, and each of them is a dot, like a power up, you know, or whatever it's representing. If it was like, oh, hey, Dave, I see you're at a four today. You know, do we should we talk? Yeah, I know, right? You doing okay? I don't know. I don't see that as a bad thing. I think we need to start getting those in production, at least doing a test at FOF. It sounds an awful lot like a Black Mirror social credit score. It really does. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah it does. That's that's kind of terrifying. This is, yeah. how are you doing today? You know, I read, a, uh, I read a book 20 years ago, the title of which I don't remember at all, and it kills me because it was you. great. Yeah. And, and it was basically about the shift from the medieval world into the Renaissance in Europe. And 
the obsession with measuring everything. And at the time, as they were learning to measure all of this natural phenomenon, which was brand new, um, it was also enmeshed with trying to measure things spiritually. So, so, I mean, there was actually like scientific inquiry, if we can put it that way. How do we measure the amount of grace in your life? Mm-hmm. And they compared it to measuring heat. And, and we kind of think of that as ridiculous, but we've got to remember there was a time in this world and not too long past when something like a thermometer wasn't understood. You just kind of felt it the way that we kind of feel grace. And they kind of learned how to actually measure heat. So why can't you actually learn how to measure grace? So, I mean, you stand on a proud tradition here, Steve. And uh, if anyone remembers the title of this book, I think it's on my brother's shelf. I should just go raise his library and uh, just, but I don't remember the author. I don't remember the title. But it was really great, and you should read it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think the cover has some direction. green on it. You know, <laughs> Google, it. Google it, everyone. Got a lot of direction from my pastor today. <laughs> um, but you know, so here's the flaw with this, right? The flaw would be in in my mind the way that I'm seeing this roll out at FOF. There's always going to be those two people, or sorry, the people that are always at like a two, just because they love being there. The contrarian, yeah, like, yeah. Right. Uh, I'm gonna go get some attention today at church. <laughs> I'm only at a t- in fact, you know what? I'm gonna put it down to a one. <laughs> or even that, yeah. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Suck it up. So it's in a scale from one to ten, but can it go to eleven? That's the question. Right. If it does, it just turn shorts up to out 11, and yeah. your hair stands up. <laughs> and I think one one other question that's kind of further down the, the the list here that I think relates back to this. If everyone is a sinner and Jesus died for our sins, then who is going to be going to hell? <laughs> because that's I mean Ultimately, I think when anyone has a question about how repentant do I need to be, yeah. is this sufficient, all those things, yeah. it's all because they're scared to death of going to hell. And, and like, let's be honest, like that makes sense because Should be scared a lot of, of times, yeah. I, I think a lot of churches, pastors, or perceptions of churches is like, well, you know, that thing that you didn't do, like, are you really sorry for it? Or you're choosing to live, live this way or live in this and you're not repentant of it. So therefore that disqualifies you from God's grace. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes sense. It makes sense that someone would be concerned about that because that is how, in my opinion, the church treats it. It doesn't treat it as a coverall. It treats it as, well, only if you want it or only if you're actually sorry for it. So it's like, we have a lot of qualifiers that I don't think, God puts there. Jesus puts one qualifier on the level of the forgiveness and grace available. And in his words, you can read it in Mark chapter three and the parallels that you'll find in the other gospels is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. In fact, what he will say is every blasphemy again, every sin and blasphemy against the son of man will be forgiven, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit against the Holy Spirit that will not be forgiven, not in this age or the age to come. It's a quick paraphrase of it. Theologically, what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has always been interpreted to mean is not just saying some curse word with the Holy Spirit's name or something like that, but rather to reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that works your heart towards repentance and faith. And so what it basically can equate to is the, 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 the severing rejection and cutting off of God blatantly. And I don't mean just getting mad one day and, and ripping one on God or something like that. Not that we should do that, but, but I, I don't think that's what it's being defined as, as an act. But, but, but the result of a posture in which you reject 
God's grace. It comes to this idea again that God or, or Christ died for the sins of everyone, for the sins of the world, and offers that that gift freely. But it's clear from Jesus himself and throughout the Bible that some people will go to hell. And these are those whose sins are not the worst in this world, but who have rejected him and rejected his grace. Almost like he's saying, here's this gift or here's this antidote, if you will. This will cure you of your sin. This will heal you of what is going to take your life. But you can fight it away, keep it away, knock it away. And it's not because God went, well, that was way too bad of you. That can't be forgiven. None of that misses the point. It's because you're rejecting the very means by which your spiritual rebirth or renewal can actually occur. And so you end up in death, spiritual death, so to speak. So, um, but is that as, is, can that be as simple as going, Oh, I don't, I don't believe that's sin or I don't want to repent of that. Or like, I think it's better to understand it as a condition than an act. Mm -hmm. Certainly a condition can be uh, propelled by an act, but often a condition is propelled by a sequence of acts. So has anyone ever if I can use just kind of like some banal examples, anyone ever kind of like, yeah, you know, I was going to say like smoke a cigarette and drop dead of a heart attack. Yeah, I'm sure it's happened, uh, you know, but it's not too prayer. Has anyone ever shot up with black tar heroin one time and, and, and keeled over dead? Yeah, it can happen. But for other people, it's a condition that grows, right? And and if they keep doing that condition, it has an effect on them, right? Where Where it Let's use the cholesterol or the smoking thing. It hardens your heart, which the Bible talks about. But we can use the idea of hardening our literal arteries as a metaphor for the way that sin likewise desensitizes or cholesterolizes or thickens or hardens our, our spiritual blood, if you will, or, or heart, if you will. And it can lead you to that place where you finally have the spiritual heart attack, where it just seizes up. You have so insulated yourself off to God that the Holy Spirit just doesn't penetrate anymore to bring you into repentance and faith. It leads to rejection. Could be a single act, but I think it almost looks at it wrongly. So is that considered a sin then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So then that's a sin that isn't forgivable? So again, I would not encourage you it's to think about it as the act. So when, when Jesus is talking about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, it could very well mean that what he's saying is if you say a four-letter word and say, you know, it after Holy Spirit instead of after God or Jesus, well, no, that, that's going too far. Well, you shouldn't do it. Most people don't interpret it that way. And I think there's good reason not to interpret it that way. What is Jesus getting at by this? He's getting at this idea that you are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And when God is clearly manifest in your life and clearly doing something in your life, but for whatever reason you choose to reject him, you are severing yourself from grace. This doesn't mean that that something can't happen to bring you back. And that's a, that's a separate debate, but you've nonetheless cut yourself off and put yourself out. It's like, like if there's a, a I, I don't know if there's a tornado ripping by and, and the people in the house are desperately saying, come in, come in. There could be any number of reasons why you're not going to come in. None of those reasons are what's killing you. But the result of those reasons is keeping you outside. And eventually the destruction is going to hit. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah or help kind of, you, you got, you got to think about it. Not so much as 
punishment for acts. And we in our very law-based society think very linearly, here's the act, here's the reward, or here's the consequence, and think that that's how life with God is as well. Where I think it's much better to think of your spiritual life along the metaphors of health and how what you do or don't do has an effect in your life that God is trying to rescue you from. And going back to, I think what was the original question was if Jesus came to die for all, all of our sins and all sinners, right? Yeah. That's basically what, what they're if saying. If everyone is a sinner and Jesus died for our sins, then who is going to be in hell? Well, the people that uh, John 3.16, or John 3.16 would tell you the people that are not going to be in hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? That yeah. whoever believes in him will not perish, but have, but have eternal life. And of course, this is why people interpret the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the way that we just described, is because what you see qualified throughout uh, much of the New Testament is that God's free gift of salvation is received by faith. You can call it a qualification, if you will, but, but, but there, there's, it's to those who receive it, accept it, throw themselves on God's mercy, repent, believe, you know, there's a thousand different ways the Bible will put this. It's all getting the same thing. Um, it's the idea that God is giving a gift and we can receive that gift or we can reject right. that gift. And it's not that rejecting the gift in its own right is by its very nature worse than murdering someone or or any other number of horrible sins in this world. It, it's, it's that we're literally just not responding through the mechanism by which we get the antidote to our sin problem. Right. So why do you think there are so many either misconceptions, questions, examples of all this? What has the church at large failed at that people don't know and understand that? Does that make sense? Like, why are we getting 150 questions in regards to different social issues or Bible trivia or salvation or all these things? Shouldn't, I would say like, if, if the church is doing their job, if you will, shouldn't people know this? And I would say uh, maybe some of it, but but no, I don't think the church is failing at all. And of course, that's a uh, of course we're failing in all kinds of ways. But I don't think this is indicative of failure any more than not everyone knowing every every ounce of math is to say that mathematical study has failed us. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's it, 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 to say that you know medicine has failed us because not everyone knows how to live healthy or does live healthy or remembers what they were taught. Yeah. I, I mean, we've got to approach God as an utter unending wealth of insight and wisdom into the nature of the universe and our condition and what, what the best life looks like. And, you know, you don't go to school for eight years, get a degree and say, Oh, I'm done. You know, I've got it. Um, so I, I think it's just as complex as the education system. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. we're not always teaching it. Well, maybe we're talking past people, but quite honestly, we got to take culpability for our own education too. Maybe we're not paying attention. Maybe we're having screw around. Yeah. Maybe we don't care. Maybe we set up all other kinds of things that we've done through the better part of our school life, right? To get in the way. So, I mean, so your analogy as far as mathematics goes, I was just going to say, like, well, your intent, you you had to be intentional about learning that to understand it. And this just didn't happen one one time in your life. You know, this was a, 
year after year after year, and you're growing as far as your understanding of, of math. Well, the same thing should be true with our our Christian walk. It's like you're not just going to learn something and like, okay, I got it. And have you found you generally learn pretty quickly what you're interested in and what you like? Yeah. yeah. Which says a lot about how we truly feel about God. Uh, you, you know, Are you willing to put in the time and it's not even willing to put time in because, you know, there, there's you things that to. I can learn in an area of passion that I can hear once. And I'm so excited about it. And I'm so excited about the field that it just sinks into my soul. Uh, but most of life is not like that because we're not passionate about it. The reality is most of us are not that passionate or interested in God. God is often a solution to a problem for us or an insurance policy or uh, kind of a strange relative that we kind of like but don't really want to spend time with or or maybe even one that we we truly love but don't know really how to relate to because our interests are different or something like that, y- y- you know, and um, I, I don't think it does any good to to deny that. <laughs> I think we got to kind of start the conversation there and go, "Oh Lord, help me to fall in love with you," you know, because if 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 you're right about this God, the, the problem's probably on my side and not on yours. Yeah, yeah. I think specifically the, the like the one area that irks me in that is like specifically in regards to salvation, because it's like if that's mm, the yeah. the major tenet of this. How is there either debate or confusion or whatever about whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. It's like, if there was one thing that we, that everyone should get know and that. understand and, and get in their mind, it's like, why either, why don't yeah. we? <laughs> and here's the reason why, and this is, I'm convinced of this. I think there's multiple reasons why, but I think this is the foundational reason why, because the message of salvation in Christianity is so contrary to it, human it no experience sense. and understanding. It's why it literally needs to be revealed by God, because everything in life tells you that you get what you deserve and that the consequences of your action oftentimes are in relation to what you've done. So, you know, don't plan ahead and, and, you know, like a fool, build your house in the sand. It's going to fall over, right? Build your house. Well, Um, it's going to stand. It just common sense tells you that in the world. And so the Christian message is constantly going against every fiber of your being that sees and experiences the world differently. It's kind of like if I told you this, the sun is not yellow, the sun is white. Well, I can tell you that. You can nod your head. You can agree with me. You can even study it and kind of learn that it is white. But the reality is you look up and you go, it's yellow. Your knee-jerk reaction is always to go, it's yellow. Until you get into space and you see it from space and realize from that vantage point, it is not yellow at all. It is white. But until you get there, you don't experience it that way. And so you have to believe what someone has told you or revealed to you, right? And even if you see the pictures, your constant bombardment of experience with the sun every day and seeing it as being yellow points in a different direction. So you constantly have to kind of be brought out of that viewpoint again and again to say that God just forgives you freely, that Jesus died for you and offers it freely. And no matter what you've done or who you are, you can be forgiven and have new life and new birth and be reconciled and, and have any kind of punishment or penalty from him washed away. That doesn't make sense. And, And that's why churches will say you need to preach the gospel constantly because it is so forgettable. And I would probably say too, that, I mean, you, okay, so Dave and I are 40, I'm 46, you're 47. Kent, 62, we'll, man. 62, what are you, 62, Kent? yeah. No, 48, yeah. 
Uh, I will be uh, 53 in 30, right. 12 days. Andrew, All right. Hey, what hey. Are, what are right. you, Andrew? I'm 31. 31. Okay. Yeah. So you just look at the just the United States within the last 50 years. These questions are going to become more and more frequent because so many people have stopped going to church or so many Christians have stopped talking about their faith. In the United States. It no longer has a... It's not a foundation. ...worldview foundation, right, right. And so, therefore, the U.S. will be one of the biggest missions fields in the next 20 years. Like, now, even. The reality is it's been the biggest mission field for the past 20 years. All right. So, these questions, like, as simple as what I think that is, and just going back to how many times do you watch a football game or a baseball game and you see the guy holding the sign, John 3.16? Mm-hmm. Well, it's just that simple. That's the gospel message message right there. And it's like, but no one's paying attention. No one cares. That's the crazy guy holding the Bible up. You know, it's <laughs> like, okay. But that's not what he is. I mean, do pe- you know, so I'm not a sports guy. Yeah. You know that. But like, do people still hold those signs yeah. up? Or is that like a generation yeah. past? Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy right, that, so. uh, I forget which team it is. Well, I think he's primarily, I don't, I don't know what team. But he's that season ticket holder right behind the goalposts every year just for that reason. It's in Cleveland, I think, or something maybe. All right. I want to say I want to say out that they yeah. need it. <laughs> Austin three sixteen. Actually, we should see. That's where we should go. Is Green Bay? As much as I can't stand that place, it's God's country. Yeah. No. <laughs> Don't Oops. ever say that again. <laughs> yeah. <Oops>. Little little <laughs> demilitarized zone, you know, in God's country up you there. You saw what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's right. <laughs> Anywho, and you can text uh, Green Bay fans your questions in Steve at eight one five three one four zero three six three. And this is the answer you'll get. <laughs> anyway, well, I didn't even think there was something you said in in your answer before you distracted us. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was. I always do that. Um, something you said something something can can forgive sins rather than did forgive sins. Or does forget? I don't. I don't remember what you said. Let, let's put it this way. I think sometimes and, and analogy. I think sometimes helps. it's like the semantics thing of like, well, Jesus died died to forgive sins, or just died so that you can be forgiven. Like those are two different statements. They are like, two different is statements. This done right, or is this right. not done? Mm-hmm. So it's. I think it's that in the. Is this actively happening? Is it not actively happening? Is it done already, or do I need to do something? Or are there qualifications on it? Like I think that's where. In, in people's heads, it's like, that's why there's confusion because it is a semantics thing. So with the semantics of this, let's use some biblical language, some theological language, and then, a, then an analogy. And, <laughs> and, and it, it's not even, I, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, but it, it is even at that. It's not yeah. like it's, it's masked in the hidden, you know, the original language or something like that. Jesus died for the sins of the world, which means there are a number of things sins does, does in life, Right. And there's a number of different metaphors that the Bible sets up to talk about the effect of sin. And sometimes I think we forget that and we try to mix the metaphors and we get all confused. So let me use this one. Jesus has paid the penalty for all sins. Now, it's not that he can pay the penalty for all sins. He did pay the penalty. So there was something due for sins and Jesus has paid that. So imagine that someone has paid your credit card bill. You can say, wow, that's awesome. Or you can continue to send in monthly payments regardless, right? It's paid for, 
but that doesn't mean that you're accepting it, receiving it, or or living in in conjunction with it. Let's say but the that bank accepted it, so like it that debt every, is gone. Yes, I mean, and every analogy will fall down, but it is paid for. But you can still keep trying to pay it on your own. The bank could sit there and go, "Why, why do they keep sending us a check?" You know, yeah. let's put it this way. Um, let's say that the judge decrees that your sentence has been paid in prison and you can go free, but you don't want to believe it or you don't want to leave or you refuse to um, accept the pardon. And so you just continue to sit in the cell and they're kind of like looking at you going, it's over, go home, you know, go, but I'm going to sit, keep sitting here, right? Mm-hmm. It has been taken care of, but how you respond to it is a different story, right? Yeah. And I think that might help navigate some of that a little bit. We are yeah, out of so. time. We hit the hour. Well, guys, thank you. Thank you for your questions. Keep on asking them. We had some great questions today, and we've only scratched the surface. If we did not get to your question yet, it is in our inbox. We will get to it. Tune in any Wednesday afternoon at 12.30 p.m. Central, or catch us in podcast. Just search for questions you never thought you could ask in church. God bless. God loves you. You can have new life in him. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.